Any competition against the might of China seems a pointless endeavor, yet Taiwan continues to fight for diplomatic recognition in the Pacific. And around a quarter of the more than 20 nations that support the so-called Republic of China are in this region. Given the increasing might of China, why do Pacific nations continue to give their recognition to Taiwan? While dressed up in a number of guises, the primary answer is money. The finance minister under the recently ousted Sogavari government and the Solomons, Gordon Darcy Lilo, sets out what the diplomatic relationship with Taiwan does for his country. In terms of Taiwan, you actually see that you know the real uh, budgetary support that comes into the government goes right down into the budget of the government, and you you can actually see that you know that money, the whole lot is being promised by Taiwan, goes right down into got fed into the uh, financial system as well. Uh, and so it forms part of the liquidity of the, uh, of the system. For the long-term supporters of China, the answer is much the same. Samoa's Prime Minister, Tulaipa Seilele Malila Ngaoi, outlines the significance of the economic assistance his country has received from Beijing over a number of years. The kind of assistance that China provides you cannot get uh, from other sources. Uh, for instance, uh, in the construction of sports fields and gymnasium. Uh, these are the kinds of projects uh, that do not fall normally within the ambit of our traditional development partners. And this is where the Chinese come in uh, very, very useful for some more. And we must also remember that unemployment in the islands, uh, especially with the, our growing uh, youth uh, population, is uh, uh, of course a major problem in every Pacific island. And since sports um, is a very, very big industry now, the economic uh, implication of the Chinese assistance uh, in sports uh, can be readily understood. A journalist working in Samoa's capital, Apia, Aotangavaya Tipi Aotangavaya, believes this long-term relationship with Samoa is held up by China as an example of what Beijing can offer the Pacific. If I look at the political side of China and the relationship between China and Samoa, China is using Samoa as a good friendship, telling the Pacific Island country, look, we're giving so much to Samoa, because we've made this relationship for 30 years, the past 30 years, and that relationship is continuing, and we want you to be part of the One China policy and One China. This funding race is often described as checkbook diplomacy, but is it any more than a benign business deal, or has it greater implications for the region? The representative of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Office in New Zealand, John Chen, likes to describe the diplomatic competition with Beijing in terms of human relationships. China tries each impossible way to deprive our rights uh, to act as a citizen of the international community. Uh, China doesn't want to uh, allow our people to have any warm friendship with others. It's like uh, that a uh, uh, bully wants to alienate or to uh, put solitude on uh, a person. I would uh, make an analogy between an ex-husband trying to <laughs> to isolate uh, his uh, former wife uh, from uh, uh, from any relations, and it's it's abnormal.
Beijing's long-standing one-China policy does not recognize Taiwan as a separate entity, merely another part of its territory. For his part, China's ambassador to New Zealand, Zhang Yuanyuan, says the fact there is any wrangle at all is merely a dying leftover result of his country's civil war. He describes Taiwan's actions in the Pacific as desperate. I don't want to call it a, a diplomatic tug, tug of war, but this is something that is still going on. Uh, and because of that desperation, the Taiwan authorities use everything to keep that facade, including pouring a lot of money, a lot of checks, uh, onto some of the countries in this area, just to keep uh, a token number of countries uh, that still recognize uh, Taipei as a state internationally. So the competition is still keenly felt, and many commentators argue this means neither side in the diplomatic tussle are that concerned over how it might impact on the region. A senior fellow at the Centre for Strategic Studies in Wellington, Terence O'Brien, says the Taiwanese must be thinking that in the end they will be outbid. I think in their in their quieter moments, the Taiwanese are really conscious of that, and so it is. It's very difficult to see how long this sort of uh, competition can go on, but in the meantime, it is a competition which is in certain countries, and Solomon's is the best example, uh, created some domestic political uh, upheavals uh, that are not good for regional tranquility and regional cohesion or regional cooperation in the Pacific, and that must be of a concern to NZ, of course. While formally recognising China, New Zealand manages to maintain connections with Taipei through informal representative offices. Taiwan is also an important trading partner for New Zealand and is its seventh largest market for goods. But this sort of arrangement doesn't appear to be a workable option for island nations and their diplomatic partners. Tension and instability has grown when nations flip-flop between support for China and Taiwan. Samoa's Prime Minister looks down on such behaviour, saying his country does not put itself up for the highest bidder. It uh, could be uh, noted that we do not play that kind of game. Our support uh, goes with what we believe in, and uh, we do not do what other countries uh, do of um, demanding if you don't give us uh, what we are going to go this way, left, right, left, right today or tomorrow. Uh, We don't play that kind of sport. At times in the past, Tonga and Papua New Guinea have recognised Taipei. While Vanuatu now also supports Beijing, at the end of 2004, its then Prime Minister, Serge Vahor, signed with Taipei, telling his parliament it was a matter of survival for his nation. Despite his country's brief flirtation, Vanuatu's former foreign affairs minister, Sato Kilman, argues such a move was a question of individual action rather than something the nation supported as a whole. Vanuatu generally from independence have got this uh, relationship with the mainland China. Uh, and I guess you've got to look at the the tradition and and. and and the style of, of how a Nivanuatu will think and, and do things. I mean, for Nivanuatu, because of our traditions, uh, when you say something to someone, it is difficult for you to say, you know, to do something else. You, are, you have a friend and it's your friend for life. Uh, uh, so this is, I think, really the, the, 
the base of that relationship uh, that um, you know because of the stand that China took on uh, you know before independence to support us and we we developed that relationship and I think we will always uh, enjoy that relationship uh, uh, except for maybe when political times change and somebody thinks it's more financially beneficial to turn to Taiwan well I, I mean we we have that uh, issue two three years ago but that I mean the UMP the UMP supports China as well uh, uh, we may be looking at a, an individual rather than a political party. Interference in local politics in order to gain the support of politicians is an accusation frequently made against both China and Taiwan. A long-time supporter of Taiwan, the New Zealand politician and United Future leader Peter Dunn, says the rewards following the Vanuatu waiver are typical of the situation. As a mark of gratitude, the Chinese government gave a fleet of 18 Buick limousines to the Vanuatu government. The state of the roads around Port Vila, let alone outside Port Vila, are not such that a fleet of 18 limousines driving around each minister uh, look in any way appropriate. And it's that sort of quite crass aid that's buying favour that I think is uh, destabilising for the region. And he does not absolve Taipei of similar behaviour in an attempt to buy favour and UN votes. In 2003, when Kiribati changed allegiance, Beijing lost not only diplomatic recognition, but it had to abandon an important satellite tracking station as well. Media reports at the time said the efforts of the two rival nations to influence Kiribati's domestic politics became a source of tension between the incumbent president and the opposition leader. There were numerous allegations of local politicians receiving payoffs from both Chinese and Taiwanese ambassadors. Three years later, and Taiwan's representatives are again being accused of inappropriately funding politicians, this time in the Solomons. Although, as Terence O'Brien explains, it's often presented under the umbrella of aid. The evidence, in the case of the Solomons anyway, does seem to be pretty solid that uh, some of the aid was used directly or indirectly to bribe uh, individual politicians uh, for their vote or for their support for given, uh, for given um, uh, outcomes, if you like, including uh, the results of an election. But these allegations over the misspending of aid to influence local politicians or indeed a bidding war for recognition are strongly rejected by Taiwan. John Chen, the cultural representative here, says his nation's aid budget is quite limited and that very transparent procedures are used in its allocation. In the case of the Solomons, he disputes that funding has gone straight to politicians, saying constituency funds were aimed at grassroots level. I think uh, uh, that kind of program uh, directed to the grassroots uh, would uh, help the, the grassroots to benefit from the program rather than just uh, from politicians. Uh, so I believe, uh, of course, uh, it invited some, have invited some criticism. criticism. Um, we believe uh, it's not a kind of, uh, not a kind of uh, uh, direct funding to politicians. And if uh, Australia or New Zealand wants to uh, discuss with us, and I think we, there, there's a need for this kind of discussion, we can uh, cooperate uh, with New Zealand and Australia in making that more acceptable. Peter Dunn argues that all this monetary manipulation will be done away with if Taiwan was given the international recognition he believes it deserves. 
Uh, I think that the case for Taiwan being recognised internationally is sufficiently strong that it doesn't need to be um, padded out, if you like, by these sorts of activities. I certainly do not think that either China or Taiwan should be playing out their political rivalries in our backyard. That's between them, and it's a matter that those two countries need to resolve in their own way in their own time. Mr Chen acknowledges that China is an ever-increasing power with greater resources to hand, but he believes the difference is that Taiwan can offer its partners not only the moral high ground of rejecting China's so-called bullying tactics, but also more advanced technical assistance. In the Solomon's capital, Honiara, the second secretary at the Taiwanese embassy, William Shu, drives around some of the projects already underway involving rice and vegetable growing. William, here we are right now visiting Taiwan Tech Technical Mission in East Honiara. Right now this one is the uh, pity rice after harvesting. Uh, we are turning into the uh, headquarters of the Taiwan Technical Mission, TTM. They have a rice project, they have a vegetable project, and they also have a pickery project. We're going to have a look. The farm fattens pigs for market. All the pickery stay here one month. So total, uh, we raised the two months old. We sell to the market. Building grants, soft loans, technical help, scholarships and frequent trips for politicians to Taipei and Beijing all form part of the smorgasbord of aid and assistance on offer to the Pacific's developing nations. But often similar help is available from other donor nations such as Japan, the European Union, France, New Zealand and Australia. But the scale of aid from China is impressive. In 2006, the Premier, Wen Jiabao, used the first ministerial conference of the China-Pacific Islands Economic Development and Cooperation Forum to announce preferential loans to the region of around $530 million. But the attraction of such financial help from China and Taiwan is often the lack of conditions, such as dictates over transparency and good governance. Money has flowed to Tonga, with loans of nearly $80 million being offered by Beijing to help in the rebuilding of Nukualofa after the riot in 2006, which resulted in much of the business district being burnt down. A correspondent there, Martini Tapuelo, says the Chinese money is so attractive because it comes without strings. These democratic countries will put forward their proposal that any kind of aid will have to be tied to democratic reform, whereas China made it clear in Tonga that their aid Tonga has no string attached, meaning the government can have their money and they can do as they wish with the political system. But Terence O'Brien says it's not necessarily a bad form of aid and that Australia and New Zealand could be criticised for trying to bring too much pressure to bear on aid recipients. The Chinese are not seeking to fashion the Pacific in their own image, whereas New Zealand's aid program and Australia's and aid programs from the European Union and so on are attempting to fashion a liberal, uh, democratic, progressive, privatising Pacific uh, somewhat in their own image. The Chinese aid program doesn't have this as one of its basic objectives. The strings that are attached to the Chinese loans for building work are often requirements that only Chinese companies, workers and materials are used. This has caused protest in Pacific nations with high unemployment and questions over whether it would be better to source funds from other donors. The other criticism is that not only are the workers and materials from China, but the designs are as well.
During a trip to the Cook Islands, my colleague Sue Ingram found the Chinese-funded courthouse and police headquarters more of a statement than a harmonious blend with other local buildings. Coming into town, you pass a row or two of simple one-storey shops and then, in stark contrast, the large courthouse has a red brick and glass exterior and a gleaming metal handrail snaking up several tiers of steps to its entrance on the first floor. When it was completed in November 2004, it was the biggest project China had undertaken in the Cook Islands. Now, however, and just a stone's throw away, is another imposing building housing the police headquarters Although its two storeys are lined with windows, the grey pillars at its door, grey slabs and a heavy roof give it a stern appearance. Again, it's been funded mostly by China and built by Chinese workers. And now China is also involved in helping to fund a sports and training arena here. China's ambassador to New Zealand also has responsibility for relations with the Cook Islands. Zhang Yuanyuan says there are regulations connected to the infrastructure work. We do have some rules uh, to govern the uh, Chinese assistance programs. Uh, but in terms of designing, of course, we, some, somebody has to make the design. And then that the design has to be agreed uh, by the receiving countries. Uh, I can only speak about the uh, Cook Islands. There are two projects uh, undertaken by the uh, Chinese side in Cook Islands. One is the courthouse building, the other is the police headquarters building. Both look uh, very much like uh, just an ordinary building in New Zealand. But some say it's too Chinese, some say it's, it's too New Zealand. And of course, we stand to be corrected. Of course, we, we, we believe that things could be improved. So perhaps in the future, China and New Zealand can work together. Uh, you decide what design you want for the Cook Islands, and we decide how we can best meet that uh, design so we we'll make the island people happy about it. An emeritus professor with the University of the South Pacific, Ron Crocombe, who is based in the Cook Islands, says the reality is all aid is given with the needs of the donor in mind. Every country adopts the policy that suits that country and then claims the higher moral ground. It says uh, Australia and USA, for instance, say, oh, yes, we interfere, which they do, uh, <clears throat> substantially, but we do it because it's for the good of the natives. Um, China says we don't interfere. In fact, they do, but they you know, do it different ways, uh, um, uh, be, because we don't want to interfere in other people's internal affairs. This is all just rhetoric. What people are doing is buying influence the best way they can for their particular country. He says while the focus is often on China and Taiwan, the United States, in fact, pours considerably more into the north of the Pacific region. But one of the most important contributions to the region from Asia are people of ethnic Chinese origin. These groups comprise those from mainland China, Taiwanese and ethnic Chinese from other nations such as Malaysia. But despite welcoming aid, tourists and investment from China and Taiwan, the local response to Chinese business people has in some cases been less than warm. A court has heard that a Solomon Islands legislator, charged with inciting April rioting which destroyed dozens of Chinese-owned businesses, had warned of ethnic unrest three weeks earlier. The death toll a from the riots in the Tongan capital Nukolofa is now eight. 
Two more the Tongan government is looking at what investment is needed to rebuild the capital's commercial centre after rioting last week. In both the riots in Honiara and Nukualofa, the main issue may have been political, but Chinese businesses became the target and many were burnt to the ground. The Chinese communities feared for their lives and Beijing took action and flew groups of people away from the conflict. Ron Crocom argues that flows of people have been a feature over several centuries and draws parallels between the movement of Chinese into the Pacific and the arrival of Europeans in New Zealand. You get a, a new flow of people in from anywhere into a country. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be both acceptance and resistance. For those people who will see it as beneficial, uh, who will welcome it, for those who will see it as competitive or undesirable, who will oppose it. And so... Uh, uh, like the 1800s race wars in New Zealand, there are going to be some times when there are going to be some pretty strong tensions. That doesn't stop it happening. The race wars in New Zealand didn't stop Pakeha coming. But all this help and assistance from Taipei and Beijing is never going to be a one-way street. So what does Taiwan expect in return for support and technical help? Friendship will keep us warm, just like uh, human beings in the world. Uh, if there's no friendship... Uh, the person will just wither away. Unfortunately, the world's a bit of a cold place, though. It's not just warmth. What, practically, what do you expect? We hope the world will be warmer to Taiwan, not just warm to Beijing. And that means on a diplomatic front, how does that warmth show itself? Um, for instance, uh, in some international organizations, uh, our friends would uh, stand up for Taiwan uh, for the justice of our people, for the uh, rights deserved uh, of our people. Both countries also have an eye on the extensive fisheries in the region, its agricultural output, and especially in China's case, the natural resources of nations such as Papua New Guinea. But it's the support on the international stage that is mentioned by Ambassador Zhang Yuanyuan. We all living in the uh, same world, and uh, we, we have this notion of uh, good neighborliness, uh, generosity, you know, especially when you do better than your neighbors, you tend to have a, demonstrate a big heart and uh, offer help. Of course, when we talk about uh, international relations, it is never a situation of only one-sided help. It's a matter of mutual help. So we expect these countries to support us, to support us first by establishing diplomatic relations with us. You know there are eight countries uh, in the South Pacific area that have established formal diplomatic relations with us based on the five principles of peaceful coexistence. Uh, we are ready and uh, we are willing to establish and develop a good, sound uh, relationship of uh, cooperation with all the South Pacific Island countries, of course, it's up to them to decide when to uh, start that relationship. Those six votes in Taiwan's favour and eight pledged to China are significant. Not only does it require less money to influence smaller nations, Professor Crocombe believes those numbers are significant in international forums. If you've got 14 votes in, in an international organisation, you can often swing things in the United Nations. A number of things have been swung... Uh, in the UN as a result of, uh, uh, of the Pacific Islands vote. So uh, if you, if anywhere, if you can get a block of 14 votes in a total voting system of less than 200, as the UN is, 
then that's of considerable value. And all sides are trying to gain the access to that vote or gain the influence over that uh, over those votes. So there's both the material and the non-material interests. So should there be any fears as China's influence in the region grows? Vanuatu's former foreign affairs minister, Sato Kilman, says from an economic point of view, he can only see good things for his country. Well, when you look at uh, what's happening around the world today, and, uh, and including the Pacific region, um, we're getting uh, a lot of interest from China in the Pacific region. Uh, whether that is good, that is bad, uh, I think, I guess that is up to in- individual countries to, uh, to gauge but uh, for Vanuatu and I'm sure uh, some of the small island states, uh, especially in terms of uh, trade and tourism, uh, it is an important factor in the economic development. Um, and I, I know both uh, Australia and New Zealand want to see more, more Chinese tourists come into the area as well. Uh, I think this is one, one common uh, uh, area for all of us. But others believe that New Zealand and Australia should not ignore the problem in an effort to avoid causing offence on either side. If Taiwan continues to lose diplomatic recognition from nations in Africa or South America, then Peter Dunn says efforts to maintain or increase support in this region could become more intense. I think what it, what it does do is place a greater responsibility on states like Australia and New Zealand who are much closer to the region geographically, certainly politically, have much stronger and longer links to play a much more active role than we have done. I think one of the failures of our policy over the years is, is we've tended to sort of claim we're part of the Pacific region when it suits us, but really we'd prefer not to be. We'd rather either be looking to Asia or even beyond to Europe. And I think that's helped create the vacuum that's enabled both China and Taiwan to move into fill. Taiwan sees the future of the region and its involvement in terms of how Beijing chooses to operate. It's a dynamic. Uh, it would be up to how China would perform their foreign policy. If China keeps on uh, substituting ties in a subtension friendship. Uh, the friendship is, uh, might be put in under great danger. So it'd be only one hand up to how China would perform this bully policy. On the other, it will be also up to uh, countries in the region as to how to choose good, right friendship. For Yang Yuan Yuan, the test for the future is to ensure Beijing is understood and to explain China better to the region. Well, the challenge, if any, should be uh, to tell the people, to communicate the positive messages we have in China to the people in the island countries, because we're not very familiar. We're perhaps, perhaps strangers. Uh, there are a lot of uh, negative imaging of China or the Chinese in the local communities.